This is a production of Money Honey Media. All advice in this podcast is general in nature. It should not be applied to your personal circumstances without first discussing with a tax professional. I'm Jade Rawson. And I'm Lauren Balder. Welcome back to our special series on Julia Gillard. Where we last left off, Julia Gillard had become our first Australian female Prime Minister. And now the story continues. So, poor Julia, first day in Parliament as, sorry, first day as Prime Minister. And she wears a coat that people didn't really like. No, they didn't. So, um, in the show on the ABC that we recently watched, Julia Gillard did actually talk about this and she simply said that she didn't pick a suit or coat on purpose that wasn't fit for Parliament. She simply picked the one that had the least amount of creases on it in her wardrobe, proving that Julia is kind of just like everyone else. (laughs) So she also mentioned that, um, that it had been an extremely long night Um, where all of this had happened and she, you know, she was tired. She just had to get changed and grab the first thing that looked all right. Yeah. So I think this may have actually been the day after she became Prime Minister that she wore the coat that was sort of notoriously all over the news because it apparently looked like a cheap hotel bedspread or something like that. But the thing is, who cares what her coat looked like? The issue is... Do we ever hear this press about a man? No, we don't. We don't. Um, And, you know, no one would ever talk about what blazer or what suit jacket, you know, Tony Abbott was wearing at the time. No, I'm sure they wouldn't. So this started this whole media coverage, uh, well, probably started before that. So even going back to 2005 when she was um, not even in government, she was a, um, you know, on the shadow side of things, Um, we had the famous fruit bowl incident. We did. So um, they, Julia Gillard had just recently returned home from overseas as well, keeping in mind. So um, they found a photo of her in her home where she had a fruit bowl that had no fruit in it. Heaven forbid. I know, right? They wouldn't want to see my house sometimes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which they um, put down to her being childish. Yeah, and being unable to, like not a good homemaker essentially. So, Lauren, how much fruit do you have in your fruit bowl? I mean, I, I mine's always full, so oh, okay. I'm not the All best right. example for this. I'm usually going to stay open to like a brown banana in it. So I am guilty of not always having a full fruit bowl. Mm. Yeah. So, so I must be a good homemaker. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the kind of crap that people – and I think when you think about it and look, spin it back around, if it was a man, like has anyone ever cared two hoots about – what fruit is in Tony Abbott's fruit bowl? If he even has a fruit bowl. <laughs> oh my God. So perhaps what was in Tony Abbott's fruit bowl is an onion. <laughs> he is famous <laughs> for eating a raw onion. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the story. So the election, the new election has been called and it's Julia Gillard versus Tony Abbott. And the first inkling that there was anything that was going to go awry was in a press club speech that Julia made um, in the early in the election campaign when she had a sudden uh, unexpected guest guest at the press club in Laurie Oaks. That's right. So we actually just listened to um, a little bit of this earlier on and 
It's not that Laurie Oaks never attended these, but it was extremely unlikely um, and it was a very rare occasion for him to show up. So when he did turn up, he started firing these questions at Julia that kind of um, insinuated that he had some inside knowledge as to what the conversation that happened in that private meeting between her and Kevin Rudd prior to um, prior to her taking over the Labor Party. Um, and that had a little bit of concern around it because how would he know those things? Yeah, in fact, the comments he made were very specific. They weren't just like general comments. The only people who were in the room, the room where it mattered, were Julia, Kevin Rudd and John Faulkner. So clearly the information has come out from somewhere. Julia knew it wasn't from her. She was very very sure that John Faulkner wouldn't have passed any of that information on. So it was pretty obvious to her um, that it came from Kevin Rudd. Yeah, and I mean, these questions were very direct and um, they were quite detailed. So that information, you know, was leaked from somewhere. And at the time, Kevin Rudd did deny releasing uh, any information to Laurie Oakes or anyone else for that matter. Um, But as time went on, uh, and after Julia's reign as Prime Minister, he, he did say that it may have been him. Yeah. It may have been him who leaked the information. Now, Julia was very clear um, in the conversation that she'd had with Kevin Rudd as per her memoir that she didn't want to let any of that information come out. She was This was a private conversation that she'd had. So she refused to answer Laurie Oakes' questions and, of course, that was then spun around to indicate that he'd, you know, shut her up and whatever and she was speechless because she couldn't answer his questions. Of course, the media spun it around to make it look like she was the person who had done the wrong thing. Yeah, and, you know, listening to this just before we started recording, she did kind of play it off really well at the beginning with a little bit of humour at how, you know, special she was to have Laurie Oakes at her national press conference because he doesn't usually attend Um, and we were having a look at some of the headlines and you know the headlines were saying that Julia Gillard was silenced by Laurie Oakes and things like that when that wasn't really the case she simply just denied that she was sorry she just refused to answer these questions yeah exactly so now it was Julia Gillard versus Tony Abbott and Kevin Wright (laughs) And so it suddenly became a much more interesting campaign for her, probably a lot more difficult than she'd intended because she was now not only fighting against, or, you know, competing against the coalition, she was also competing against someone from her own party. Um, interestingly enough, Kevin Rudd didn't resign when he lost the leadership of the Labor Party, which is typically what people do. He decided he would contend the next election, and um, obviously that's going that was going to make it a lot more difficult. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people were particularly particularly the people in the media were very happy about the fact that it was a woman contending to be the minister, the prime minister of Australia. No, that's right. And I, you know, I do feel for Julia because, like we said, not only was she battling with Tony Abbott, the opposition. She was also battling with someone who was supposed to be on her team and not having that support and, you know, trying to face all of these battles in every direction would be very, very hard. So I think for her it it didn't really stop there. I mean, it just kept going. And while she was campaigning at the uh, ECHA show in Brisbane, she was approached by Mark Latham who was, um, you know, 
he, she was boxed into a very small space with him while he basically asked her all of these questions around how she became the leader of the Labor Party and um, was trying to portray her in this way that was kind of backstabby and uh, obviously was not intended to make her look in the in the kind of way that was favourable. No, and Mark Latham is a former leader of the Labor Party as well. She, she actually had been a good supporter of Mark Latham when he was leader. Um, and all of a sudden he's like jumping in front of her in it. It was it did look quite confronting. She tried to handle it as well as she could, but it would have been a difficult position. And then Mark Latham came out with some very crude comments about how she'd swiped him down the front and the only person who's allowed to do that is his wife and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, again, another Labor Party person not helping her. Yeah, that's election campaign. Exactly right. So we watched the video of this and I mean all Julia did was kind of rest her hand on the top of his chest there. Um, because she was very, very boxed in and surrounded by, you know, people and cameras and microphones and obviously wanting to get out there. And Mark Latham did make that comment about, you know, Julia stroked him down the front or whatever. And Obviously, you know, saying it in a sexual way or a bit of a sexual connotation to it. And I just think that is another example of, you know, sexism and saying that about Julia Gillard because if that was a male, I doubt there would be a sexual connotation about it too. So he also made a few comments about how um, this was Julia's way of pushing her power onto him and... um, you know, this was her power play and things like that. If you watch the video back, (laughs) you can totally see that that's not the case at all. Um, And so, you know, it's it's spun into this massive thing now. And so now we have the battle between Julia Gillard, Tony Abbott, Kevin Rudd, Mark Latham and pretty much the entire Australian media. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So um, Julia Gillard did um, cop a lot of flack in the Australian media. Um, There were a lot of comments said about her that, you know, I think even if these comments were said now, someone would surely say, yeah, they would not be allowed to be said now or be aired now. Um, And, you know, some of these comments was only said, you know, 10 years ago. So still not that long ago. And I don't think it was fair that anyone had to go through it. Mm. So, you know, she was called out for not only being a woman but not being married so her partner Tim Matheson is a hairdresser they've been together for many many years from um, like even before she became into office Um, you know they were saying because he's a hairdresser he must be gay and I mean I know a lot of hairdressers who are male and not gay Um, that you know they were saying that because she hadn't had children she doesn't have family values um, they, she's also not religious, so again, that you know became a bit of a, a sticking point, particularly compared to Tony Abbott, who is incredibly religious. So there was a lot of you know talk about who she was, and and maybe she didn't fit the stereotype that whoever wanted her to be. But you know, she is who she is, and so what if she's not married? And so what if she doesn't have children? Like that's her choice. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating or review on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to listen to our weekly podcast, The Accidental Bookkeeper. Now back to Gillard. 
So on the 21st of August 2010, um, we had the election called. Now, this was, you know, a bit of a hairy election. So there were a total of 150 seats and Labor won 72 of them. However, the Liberal Party also won 72 seats. So there was a debate that went on for 17 days for someone to form majority government. Okay, so during that 17 days of a hung parliament, Julia Gillard's government was the caretaker um, during that time and they had to go and try and get some sort of agreement and I'm sure Tony Abbott was doing the same thing to form to form a government. So 17 days, that would have been a very stressful 17 days. Um, in the end, uh, there were four crossbenchers who ended up forming the Labor government. Uh, first of all, it was Adam Band, who's the leader of the Greens now, but at the time was an, a Greens MP. Um, at the time, Rob Brown was the leader of the Greens. We also, so he came over pretty quickly into it and then there was the um, three independents or four independents that needed to be swayed. Now, the four independents were Andrew Wilkie, Rob Oakshock and uh, Rob Oakshot and Tony Windsor. And the other fourth one who didn't end up agreeing was Bob Catter. Now, I don't really know what it is that got them across the line, but they did. And so 17 days, they gave themselves 17 days. They put a deadline on, they would make that decision by that day. And on the day they did, and they put the Labor government back into power. And Julia could finally move into the lodge. (laughs) (laughs) I bet she was looking forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that was a very stressful time. So suddenly, Julia governing in her own right, and she put a lot of effort into getting things done. Um, Lots and lots of reform went through. She put through more legislation than any other government, I think, has ever put through. Another thing that did help the Labor government form government was the position of the Speaker. Now, at the time of the election, uh, Harry Jenkins, who was a member of the Labor government, was actually the speaker and he decided that to help the government, he would resign from that. And the person who was put into the position was Peter Slipper, who was a Liberal national defector. So essentially he was someone from the Liberal Party. Um, He then obviously took that vote away from the Liberal National Party, the coalition, to give it us a little bit, or not to give us, to give Julia a little bit more strength in her um, government. Peter Slipper is a character we will get to know very soon. We sure will. So Julia did do a lot during her term. Jo, as you said, she um, passed the most legislations. Um, She did set an agenda for social change, sorry, and that included a lot of things. So it included the Clean Energy Act or better known as carbon tax, which was the much debated thing. Um, She was involved in the creation of the National Disability Insurance Scheme or better known as NDIS. Um, She did an overhaul of the school's funding, also known as Gonski, and she was involved in the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. So a lot on her plate. So during her time uh, in power, Julia actually passed 561 bills. That's quite a spectacular amount of bills considering that she was a minority government. Mm, Definitely. I think it's also worth uh, mentioning that during her 
time as the Prime Minister, um, there were the floods in Queensland that were quite disastrous and um, Prime Minister Gillard did bring in the flood levy for um, taxpayers who had a income over 50000 per year to help rebuild all of the damage after the flood and pay for all of that. And she was also involved in um, the NBN system being up and running as well in 2011. Yes, the NBN, <laughs> which I'm sure the uh, – which was then, you know, changed when they did end up losing government and became a much lesser system than was originally designed. Okay, some of the other things that she did during the time was she brought in paid parental leave, which was a pretty massive thing, so that it was available for partners as well as the um, mothers of the children. All right, so not everything was perfect, of course, and um, there were a few things that she is known for not having achieved or not having stood by. And the first one is marriage equality. At the time, there was um, talk around marriage equality for um, same-sex marriages, and uh, Julia decided not to go ahead with pushing this through to Parliament. Later on, she did explain that her reasons behind this was because she is such a feminist that she doesn't actually believe in marriage at all. And she actually thought that this was the time to relook at what marriage was and what marriage represents and legally what it what it is. Um, she said that she clearly got that wrong, that timing wrong with when we can start talking about the act of marriage and what it means from a legal standpoint. Um, but she's definitely said that she's not opposed to other people getting married or same-sex marriages. It's just not within her belief as a feminist. Yeah, that's right. Um, so another controversial thing that she um, went through while she was in office was um, an immigration proposal. So this sought to deport um, asylum seekers to Malaysia who turned up on Australia's shores. So so this plan, which was actually intended to curb human trafficking, was a variation to the Pacific Solution, which was originally introduced by John Howard in 2001. But it was, of course, very controversial and probably didn't really go ahead in the way that um, anyone had anticipated it to. Um, in fact, the... Um, the Malaysian solution was actually ruled by the Australian High Court as not being a legal thing to do. So it ended up not really happening. The other piece of uh, legislation that didn't come across as well as she had anticipated was the Clean Energy Bill, otherwise known as the Carbon Tax. Um, this was in, you know, in, meant to be our big help to get us through the environmental challenges and it just didn't end up getting through. So we've gone through how Julia came into being the Prime Minister um, and her reign, uh, everything that she brought into Parliament passed through Parliament. And in our next episode, we're going to go through the famous misogyny speech, everything that uh, led to that iconic day and iconic speech and where she's up to now. For listening to this episode please remember to follow us on facebook instagram and tiktok and also leave us a review on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts
Money Honey Media would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which this podcast is recorded and produced. We pay our respect to Elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of this nation.